Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Tonight, I'd just like to take a few moments to give some honor. Now, I give honor to God, as always, just the way he uses me. I can't help but stand in awe that he would take someone like me and use me just in all these different ways. I also give honor to Pastor. Uh, It was in him investing in me and Brother Malone and some others, getting us started in Jump Start when we were kicking off the services a couple years ago. That helped me get to where I could stand behind a pulpit and minister the Word of God. It's still a, still a bit uncomfortable, but he has helped me to grow and uh, to grow in God in ways that nothing else could have got me to. And so I really appreciate him investing. And it's not just in us. It's in every single one of us in many different ways. I give him honor. I give honor to all of our ministry team. Ministry is not easy. It is, it is a labor. And I just appreciate all the work they do. Uh, sometimes it's behind the pulpit. Sometimes it's behind the scenes. And we appreciate all of that. I give honor to my wife. It was her words of encouragement that helped me the other night that really helped me with this message tonight. Because uh, I kind of had like nothing because I was really worried about getting everything perfect and just right, and I had to feel it in just a certain way, and it just wasn't really working, and just the words that she said and that she was just there, it really helped me out, and I just, I appreciate her. I thank God for her every day, and for tonight, I have no new or super unique uh, message. I did ponder. I prayed. I sought God for this past month of what I should teach or preach, But nothing really came to mind outside of just Jesus. That was it. Just something about Jesus. And that, like I said, I couldn't really think anything through too well until a few days ago, thanks to my wife, just playing the role of wife and really helping me. Uh, You know, I'd already done two other messages about Jesus before. But since he was all I could think of, then I am going to speak of him again. And so my title tonight is Jesus. And I had no starting scripture, but if you'll just take a minute and help me pray. God, we love you. We thank you, God, for this chance to be in your house. God, we give you glory. We give you praise, Jesus. There is none like you, God. We honor you. We praise you. We bless your name, God. And I pray you anoint my mind and my lips for the ministry of your word, God. Help us to hear it, God, to receive the word that you would give us in this time, God. Let it do the work that you have God would have for it to do. God, be glorified in it. God, be glorified in us. God, even as we continue to live and grow in you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. You can go ahead and be seated. I think a lot of us are fam- know this short sentence, familiarity breeds contempt. Or at least we, if we, even if we've never heard that, we are going to understand that concept. 
the more you are around something and familiar with it, the more chances it has to become annoying or ignored. And I sometimes worry that the church has become so familiar with Jesus that we forget who he really is. It's not that we aren't aware that he is God and he is worthy of praise. It's just that we're used to the motions and we've become accustomed to his presence, his word, his glory, and his name. Some of us can think back on earlier services where we'd come in just on fire and just really feeling it. We're excited every time. And sometimes now we come in and it's just another service. You know, it may be good, but we're more used to it. We're more familiar. When you get used to having something around all the time, it's easy to lose its value. And it's easy to forget what made it special in the first place. You know, words repeated over and over start to sound made up, and they lose their meaning. The repeated word starts to sound foreign and strange, even though you know exactly what it is and what it means, and may use it for what it is. But still, after so many times of repeating it, it's just this weird babbling noise, and it's, it's like, does this actually mean something? In church... We find ourselves in a relationship with Jesus where we are so familiar with his name and his presence and we hear his name so much that we are in danger of taking him for granted and losing the power of his name. We're in danger of that we would stop pursuing his glory because it's just a background noise. And though God never changes You know, he's always consistent. He's always just as amazing as the first time we experienced him. We do change. And we must continually, on purpose, grow. Not just by happenstance. Not just if it happens, it happens. On purpose. We must continually grow in our relationship with God and keep up with our prayer and our worship if we want to keep our relationship with him alive and well. If you want to keep your marriage better, you keep pursuing your husband and wife. You keep dating them. You don't just let it stagnate. You don't just let it be, oh, they're always here, so, you know, whatever, I'll love them later. You know, it's the same with God. You don't just get so used to it that he's just there, and you don't really pursue him anymore. And in fitness, any type of fitness, running, that I hate, uh, weightlifting, yoga, you, you name it. Uh, but there's a very general rule that underlies any type of growth. It is progressive overload. Because without it, nothing's going to happen. Because the human body has an amazing ability to adapt to stimuli and learn how to operate in the least stren- strenuous way possible. It tries to work smarter, not harder. It's what it does. And it is for that reason that progressive overload comes, comes in. And this is just the base of what progressive overload is. If you start out, let's say you could do five push-ups. At first, those five push-ups are probably going to leave you a bit sore and a bit tired for the next couple of days. And you feel it. You see the results. It's there. 
But after some time, let's say you keep doing it for weeks on end, five push-ups every day, you're going to stop feeling it because you've already gained the strength for those five push-ups. And then your body has adapted to where it doesn't need to grow anymore because there's no extra stimulation being added to it. So the only way to grow from that point is to start doing six push-ups or a harder kind of just add to the load. You are progressively overloading yourself to force growth. Otherwise, you just, you change a little and then you stay there. There's no, no more change after that. Our spirit behaves in much the same manner. We may start by raising one hand in worship. We enjoy God's presence and we grow closer to him. But if we never do more than we show up and we just do this, we're not going to get any closer than just this. You don't get closer to that sign over there by only taking one step and that's, that's it. You got to. You have to keep taking more steps. You got to keep, keep adding, keep growing. And if you don't keep growing in God, his name and who he is will never become more than just a good idea or a pleasant thought. He will become an experience from yesteryear, and his name will lose its power in our life in a slow and gradual manner where we look back and think, wow, look how close I used to be. I want to look back and think, wow, look how far I've come. And it's not that just the name Jesus in and of itself. J-E-S-U-S has power in and of itself because it is those five letters making that sound, Jesus. It is because it is his name that it has power. And it is our relationship with him that we truly see the power behind the name. Because there was an example in the Bible where this person is trying to cast out and rebuke demons. And he's like, I command in the name of Jesus. But that man had no relationship with Jesus. And that spirit knew that fact. It's like, hey, I know you're throwing around this name, but there's no weight behind it because there's no relationship behind that name. But when someone who did know Jesus rebuked that spirit, it was out. It was gone because it knew behind this man saying that name, there is power and authority because I know his, he has a relationship with him. But what does Jesus truly mean to us? What does he mean to us? For many people, he has become a passionless habit. You just kind of show up. You know, you say you're a Christian, and you just, you just show up. Have we forgotten who he is? Are we even aware that we have allowed our relationship with Christ to fade into the background of our busy minds and lives? Because life is in your face all the time. You can't ignore it. And Jesus, it doesn't seem like he's just always right there in your face because you, you have to focus on him, but life is going to... It's going to focus on you. So you don't have to try with life. It's there. But with Jesus, we have to try. And it's so easy just to let him fade to the background and just kind of forget about him. Not, not, not on purpose. You didn't just shove him in a trunk somewhere. Just 
you got busy. But tonight I have two questions I want to take time to answer. Who is Jesus? And how do we be like him? You know, since, since we claim to be a Christian, Christ-like, it's important questions to know the answer to. We need to know it for ourselves. But we need to know it for other people that's going to ask us someday, why? Like, I see what you do, and I see that you're going to church. I see that you claim to be a Christian, but why do you do it? You know, who, who is Jesus to you? You know, and tonight, a lot of stuff is probably going to be really basic that I cover. But it's in the basics that a foundation is formed, that everything stands on. And if we don't understand who Jesus is, how can we expect to see his power in our lives or in the lives of others? So we're going to start with who, who Jesus is. Jesus was and is the manifested image of God. In other words, he is God in the flesh. 1 Timothy 3.16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. And going to Colossians 1, 15 through 17, speaking of Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created, that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Jesus Christ, God and Father of all creation, manifested in flesh and blood for all to see for the roughly 33 and a half years that he was walking on earth. He was not simply a good man. He was not just another prophet, and he also wasn't here as a mighty lion to conquer Israel's enemies like they were hoping would happen. No, he was the son of God, the perfect lamb, born to be the perfect sacrifice to conquer the grip that sin had on humanity, not the perfect warrior to overcome the natural enemies of the nation of Israel. Jesus had a dual nature. As a man, as the son of God, he had a fleshly nature with limits, weaknesses, and he was able to be tempted just like any of us. But as God, he had a divine nature with all power, all wisdom, still being who he had always been. And although his body was flesh and blood, it was inhabited by the fullness of the Godhead, the entirety of who God is. In his humanity, Jesus was just like you or me. He was born. He was raised by parents. He grew up with siblings. If you didn't know, yes, Jesus had natural-born siblings. He grew up. He grew in wisdom. He got taller as he got older. He would face temptation. He had to eat and he had to sleep. And from time to time, he had to get away from everyone just to be alone. And I appreciate that fact. So, 
And although Jesus is the almighty God manifested in the flesh, his fleshly human nature was still normal. Except for the fact that he was born to a virgin, his birth happened just like any other natural birth. Baby Jesus came into this world crying and needing his parents to love him, to raise him, to feed him. And everything was so normal about it, except for the fact that it was a virgin birth. Because God's purpose here was to be the perfect lamb to conquer sin. Not just to jump into the world in battle armor ready to to judge the nations. As he grew, he went through the same growing pains everyone else goes through. He knows from firsthand experience the awkward preteen and early teen stages. And you know, even at that age, at the age of 12, his human nature was still obedient to the Spirit. At 12 years old, we can find him teaching the Word of God in the temple. The only difference between a 12-year-old Jesus and a 12-year-old anybody else is nothing besides the name. Age is never a limiting factor when it comes to the kingdom of God. There are still today children and young people doing great works for God. Sometimes those great works are kind of small where you don't see them, but it's usually those works that keep things moving. And if I remember correctly, Pastor was 12 years old when he preached his first sermon. Yeah, age. God never limits any of us because of our age. That's part of the normalcy of Jesus, even though he was 12, you know, doing that great thing. It really isn't the only time that has ever happened. Jesus also took the time to fast and pray on a regular basis. Because listen, he may have been God in the flesh. But his flesh still had to bow down to his spirit. His humanity need to have a close relationship with the spirit, just like we need to have a close relationship with God to remain in his will. Jesus also went through times of stress and worry. The greatest example of this is his prayer a little bit before being captured and then crucified. He was... Because he knew, he already knew what was coming. And he was, in his humanity, just like we would be, he was extremely anxious and worried. Enough that in his prayer, he was so stressed out that he wasn't just sweating it. He was bleeding about it. It can still happen. It's a medical condition. You stress out so bad, little blood vessels burst, boom, blood in your sweat. I've never seen it happen to someone, but then again, I've never seen someone that stressed out. So (laughs) I don't think many of us are standing before a cross at the moment. But it's not like he walked away from that prayer feeling like a brand new man, like a million bucks, ready to conquer everything. He wasn't. Because the stress and worry that he felt, it was heavy and it was real. So he understands perfectly what it feels like when we have it ourselves. Jesus and his humanity, again, also was tempted. And the Bible tells us that he was tempted in all points like as we are. I used to wonder or think that didn't make sense. Like, 
we have different things now than they did 2,000 years ago. We have a lot of the same temptation, but there are new ways of being tempted now. And it, it didn't make sense to me uh, not too long ago, really. Uh, but then I, I started to understand it's not saying he was tempted in all the exact same ways I'm tempted. It's telling us in every way he could be tempted, he was tempted. Just like in every way I can be tempted, I am tempted. And the same for any of us. Because I'm, I'm not going to try to tempt someone with a piece of candy when I know they don't like that candy. I'm going to tempt them with what I know will make them fall. And Jesus was tempted. Satan personally went out of his way to do it. So, yeah, Jesus, Jesus knows what it's like to, to have temptation. And Jesus even had to submit to death and died in his humanity, just like all of us will do, even if his was only for a couple days. If you read the Gospels, you're going to find many examples of the humanity of Jesus. But you're also going to find many times where he was more than just another man, that he was indeed God with us. He was unparalleled in wisdom. Even at just 12 years old, when he was in that temple, when he was going through the scriptures, he baffled the priests and the scholars with his wisdom and understanding of the scriptures and what they meant, what they held. Even King Solomon, known as the wisest man in history up until that point, could not match the wisdom of Jesus. Solomon may have had God-given wisdom, but Jesus was God robed in flesh. Jesus was also completely without sin, even though he was tempted to sin. You know, temptations are those things that they're going to appeal to your flesh, but they go against the will of God. There's not a single person in history that has not been tempted to sin. But Jesus stands alone in the fact that he never gave in. He is the only man in history to have never sinned. The greatest example that Jesus was God in the flesh. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. He may have died just like everyone else, but he was busy while he was dead. Unlike us, he had the power and the authority as God to walk straight into hell, take the keys away from Satan, raise back to life, and nothing and no one was able to do anything to even pretend to try to stop it. He even took time to fold the clothes that he was buried in and laid them to the side. And if that's not telling us, I'm God, I don't know what else is going to say it. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, Father of all creation, robed in flesh and blood, and His Spirit, Father, God of all things, and His humanity, the Son of God. And on a side note here, because this is a thought I had in the middle of all my other notes, if you pay attention to the world around you, you're going to notice that Christianity is becoming mythology. Very quickly, very widespread. And the Bible becoming nothing more than a book of fairy tales. There are many churches who teach the Bible as a storybook rather than literal history. 
But I still declare that the Bible and Jesus are more than just another story. Jesus was more than just a man who lived a few thousand years ago. He was God in the flesh, and he did it for a purpose and a reason. We can't afford to be passive about Christ in the church. The world all around us needs to know that Jesus is real, that the Bible is literally the word of God, and that we need the grace he offers. But why did Jesus come in the flesh? Why would God humble himself, come off of his throne, wrap himself in humanity, and be known as the son of God? Because he came to take our place. If we go back to the very beginning, Adam and Eve chose to disobey God and eat of the fruit, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They had literally every other tree to eat. <laughs> Everything else. <laughs> but they, they chose that one. <laughs> and the moment they did, they chose sin over God. Sin was just at its roots. It's just a separation between you and God. That's a very basic way of putting it, and that's exactly what happened. Sin came between humanity and God. They were warned about what would happen, but they gave in to the temptation to eat it, and I can't judge them too harshly. I've given in temptation many times in my life. I probably would have done the same thing. But ever since, every single person born has been born into sin, even still to this day, which is why the Bible is still relevant, because we still need the grace that God offers. And being born into sin, it is impossible to get rid of it yourself. Sin cannot wash away sin, just as mud cannot wash away mud. And even though there was a system of sacrifice that God had set in place in the Old Testament, it would only temporarily cover a person's sin. It could not wash it away. But still, God knew exactly what he was doing. And at the right time, in the right place, in the right way, he came to earth. What made it the right time and place? I'm not God. I don't know. But he knows. The sacrificial system, it was very specific. If you ever read through it, it is annoyingly specific. And part of it was needing a perfect animal with no faults, no flaws, for its blood to be of any use in covering sins. But again, the system only worked to cover, and there was no way to wash away the sin unless the blood of a perfect man willing to bear the burden of sin, being able to be the perfect, acceptable sacrifice to God, was able to do it. But the only true and perfect one is God himself. Because as we see in humanity, there's no one perfect And so, God made himself a body, became the son of God, a man who would be perfect even though he was tempted, even though he had every opportunity to not be, because again, he was still flesh and blood. He still had to endure humanity. 
but he was perfect. And he would willingly shed his blood to wash away the sins of humanity. We should be the ones dying in our sins. But Jesus stood in our place so that we can have life, we can have our sins washed away, so that we can stop drowning in it. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil that was in the temple, that veil that separated the presence of God from sin-covered mankind was ripped in half. Just right down the middle, ripped in half. No small feet because that wasn't some thin little piece of fabric. That thing was thick. Tearing that was obviously an act and work of God because that thing isn't going to tear on accident. And once that was done, once the cross was fulfilled, once it was ripped in half, suddenly we find that because his blood washes away our sins, we, all of us, are able to come into the presence of God. We didn't need a priest to do it for us. We could walk straight into the presence of God. God robed himself in flesh to make a way for us to come to him, to tear down that barrier that sin made between him and us. And, yeah, at the exact same time that Jesus shed his blood to wash away our sins, again, he tore the veil. He opened the way so that everyone who would could come and know him in his presence. And what Jesus said as he died on the cross, it is finished. That was a statement of finality. It is finished. That still echoes to this day. Those are words are of absolute power because what was finished was the entire law and requirement of the Old Testament was fulfilled in that moment. So now we can come directly to him. Now we don't have to worry about that barrier, that sin keeping us from him. The blood of Jesus Christ washed it away. It overcame what we could never overcome. You know, Jesus didn't say, I am finished and then died. He said, it is finished. The work is done. Jesus is still alive and well. And the victory he provided in that moment is still available. That is the main reason why Jesus came. But also in his life, in those 33 and a half years, he came to teach, to reach the lost, to heal the sick, to show us how to live and walk and talk. His eyes were ever on his final goal of the cross. But in the meantime of his life, he changed lives. And that's how we ought to be living ourselves. Our main goal is heaven. You know, I, I want to get myself there. But in the meantime, my life should impact the lives of those around me, helping others get to heaven too. The answer to who Jesus is is simple, but it's also very deep and powerful and complicated. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, come to save us from sin. Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Yeah. 
He is wonderful because he saves us from sin. He hears our every prayer. He catches and holds every tear that we are ever going to cry in our entire life. He is our counselor, and his word gives us direction in every single area of our lives. He is the mighty God, father and creator of all things. There is no one and nothing greater than him. He is the everlasting father. And over and over again, we will find his loving arms every time we need him. He is the prince of peace because over and over again, he proves that worry and anxiety are not victorious to those who trust in him. Doesn't mean we won't feel them, but it means they won't conquer us. I see a lot of people being conquered by anxiety and depression and worry and fear. And I just wish they would grab a hold of Jesus. That's the only difference between me and them that I could find. Is that I trust in Jesus and they don't yet. But I just pray I can continue to be an example to lead them to him. And when we get to know who Jesus is, it is no wonder that we are called to be like him. The early church followed his example well enough that the world around them started calling them Christians because they were like Jesus Christ. They didn't pop up and say, oh, just call us a Christian. They were just living like Christ, and people saw that and called them Christians. And it's no small feat to be like Christ because it is going to go against our basic nature in some form or another. But that does lead me to the second question I have to answer. How do we be like Christ? Short answer, follow the example he gave us while he lived his life. But let's go through just a few examples here. Jesus was a man of prayer and fasting. He prayed for other people. And he prayed for them like he would want them to pray for him. That's, if you ever wonder how to pray for someone else, pray for them as if you were thinking of how you would want them to pray for you. He also prayed for himself because he knew in his humanity he needed strength to carry on. And in his fasting, he took the time to do it, but it wasn't really obvious about it. He denied the nature of his flesh, the desire to eat, you know, satisfy your flesh, basic natural needs, and instead took the time to focus on the spirit, focus on the will of God and drawing closer in that relationship. He didn't pray and he didn't fast out of convenience, but he did know that he needed it. And it helped him to grow. It helped him to stay where God needed him to be. Jesus was tempted, but he endured temptation. The devil promised Jesus everything that sounded good to him. Tempted him to make bread when he was hungry. Not that it'd be incredibly wrong for Jesus to make this stone into bread. Just the method of it and how he was tempted would have been the wrong place, the wrong time, the wrong way to demonstrate his power. The devil tempted him with kingdoms and power. You know, come... I know in your flesh, you're, you're limited right now. You don't, you're not like in a position of power and authority. Everybody's listening to you, but I can give you some right now. 
But still, his humanity was tempted. But still, he said no. He tempted him to use his angels and to put on a show to convince everyone he really was the Christ. The devil knew Jesus' weakest points and hit him right there. But Jesus was able to endure by using the word and by leaning on a relationship with God. He rebuked the devil. He didn't entertain the temptations or try to stand on his own strength. Luke 4 and 8. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. When you're tempted, lean on God. Maybe listen to that playlist that keeps your mind right. Maybe think of some scripture. Maybe try just a little talk with Jesus. Just a few sentences of a conversation with God can work wonders and completely turn you around. In his life, and still now, but Jesus was loving and friendly. He accepted people as they were, but they still walked away from him changed. A woman at the well walked away telling others all about Jesus. He took the time to talk to her. He took the time to witness to her. A blind man walked away with sight and praise to God. A rich young ruler, he ended up walking away sad because <laughs> uh, he felt conviction would be better after coming to Jesus. But he didn't want to do what it took. You know, Jesus didn't make anyone follow convictions. He didn't try to shove anything down anyone's throats. All he did was witness and let them do what they would do. He was forgiving in his nature. Some people have a harder time with this than others. You know, and we all have different things that we have to struggle with struggle with but forgiving is forgiving's hard it's not easy when you're angry when you've been hurt when it hit you in a very personal way it's hard but he was forgiving he forgave the woman caught in the act of adultery she could not hide the fact that it happened she was caught in the act but he forgave anyway. He had every right to throw down judgment. But he didn't. He forgave people that didn't even ask to be forgiven. And that's going to be the hardest part for any of us. If somebody slaps you in the face and walks off and never says sorry, it's really hard to forgive them. But that was what Jesus did. When they hammered the nails through him, those nails scraping against his bones, cutting through his tendons, grinding against his nerves, him suffocating on a cross, bleeding out. He looked at the men that did that and said, Father, forgive them. He didn't need them to say, I'm sorry. And I think part of the reason Jesus was so forgiving was because he was looking at the soul. And that that soul, no matter what they were doing, they needed grace. 
His focus was on them, not their trespass. And grace has a healing quality. The more we show it, the more lives and relationships are going to be touched and healed. Jesus was also, he was a leader, he was a teacher, he was a living example of love and truth. There is a point as Christians we are going to have to lead. The people out in the world don't really know the Bible. They don't really know how to live and walk and talk the way he wants us to. We're going to have to show them to the very best of our ability how we can walk and talk and please God and honor him. Jesus lived his life as a living sacrifice. He took the time to meet people's needs, even if it was inconvenient out of his way. He was there for his friends and his family. He died on the cross for other people. It was not convenient. It was not something he really wanted. But his focus was not my will, but thine be done. His desire was to have God's perfect will be done no matter the cost. We may not be called to die on a cross for everybody, but maybe we're called to go visit that person in the hospital that's a bit out of our way. Jesus was also passionate. Just like we need to be in this walk and relationship with him. His love showed no bounds. He loved people in their roughest and in their best states and everything in between. When Peter denied him in his moment of need, when he needed a friend to be there with him, but Peter was too busy saying, I don't know this man, he loved him. That woman caught in adultery, he showed her love. It wasn't just Peter, it was most of the disciples ran away in his hour of need. He still loved them. He simply loved. It can take love. It can, it can take a lot of passion to love at all times, all people, no matter what. Love is more than just a feeling because love is a choice. And you need, you need a passion for it. He showed mercy and forgiveness when it wasn't asked for. He showed his anger in an appropriate way. He was passionate in doing it. He was very passionate, flipping the tables, beating those money changers out. But he didn't sin while doing it. He didn't cuss. He didn't fight. He didn't throw a tissy fit. He still reacted as a righteous man. He didn't have to regret how he reacted later on. And his, he felt and experienced sadness and fullness. He wasn't always smiling happy. Through his passion, he showed grace. And if you look at the word passion, there are roots that are found not in emotions but in suffering. We are God's greatest passion. And if we want to be like him and be passionate, we need to be passionate for the souls of this world. Going out of our way to see that they might find their way to heaven. Jesus took time to comfort people, Matthew 17, 7. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. His touch was gentle. It was comforting. You know, he wasn't just telling them, Get over your fear. He touched them. He took the time to say, Hey, it's okay. Don't be afraid anymore. 
His touch was exactly what people needed. And our touch, whether with words or a helping hand, should always be gentle and helpful. We should not be condescending. We should not be, be hurtful. We need to reach out with hands of love. Even a simple smile can brighten a stranger's day. Something as little as saying bless you when someone else sneezes, because it's awkward when you sneeze and nobody says anything. But hearing someone across say bless you, it, it really helps a whole lot. And those, it's little things like that that you can comfort people. Jesus was everything this world needed. I know we can't meet all the needs of the world. But we can still meet needs in this world. We don't always realize it, but we are exactly what the world around us needs. We are the only Bible some people are going to read. And we are usually the only way someone is going to get to know God. We are called to be like Christ. I only gave a few quick examples because I know I'm already at about 45 minutes for the first time ever that I've been behind a pulpit. Uh, so I'm trying to speed through this. Yes, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, I'll just give a few quick examples of being Christ-like, of, of loving and showing grace, of offering comfort, of being passionate and uh, reaching out to the world and being forgiving even when someone doesn't ask for it. WWJD. What would Jesus do? As, well, I guess it's an old saying now, uh, but it's true. What would Jesus do? How would he respond in this situation? How would he act to that person? He would go visit that person. He would say, bless you. He would do all those little things. He would also stand firmly upon the word and not back down, just trying to fit in or blend into the crowd. He was kind, but he wasn't nice. He wasn't a pushover. He knew how to stand. And he was passionate about it. He was shy, wasn't timid, didn't hold back. We are called to be like Christ. Not simply in living our lives as sinless and as blameless as possible. That too, though. But in our character, in our integrity, to be everything that Jesus was and is. Being a Christian is so much more than just having a church membership. It's easy to say you go to this church. And it's more than just believing that God is real. It is living at life the way Jesus did. The two questions I had tonight, who is Jesus and how do we believe be like him, are both answered by having a relationship with him. Because I can stand here and tell you all about him, how to be like him, because I can go for a whole lot longer than what I did. But without getting to know him through continued prayer, Bible reading, and both of those things every single day, taking the time to fast, to worship, listening to the preached word, Without those, you will never really know him, no matter how long you've been a church member. Everyone can go ahead and stand. At the beginning, I said how only ever doing five push-ups 
would eventually no longer affect your body. The same concept is true when it comes to knowing Jesus. Don't stop where you're at. Keep growing closer. Maybe lift a second hand next time. One little step at a time. Keep growing closer to him. Don't let Jesus become a stranger or a name without meaning. Get passionate about this. Know who he is so that when we pray in Jesus' name, you understand the authority and power that is behind that name. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.